Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as everything that you are talking about in the beautiful game. On today's show, well, you're not going to be lost for anything. We've got news on Jorge Messi, Leo's father's desperate attempt to rescue his move to Manchester City. Also, the latest on Chelsea's search for a new goalkeeper. News on Manchester City as well. Wolves and their shrewd policy of recruitment, which of course includes a certain super agent rather than someone who is named as a technical director. First of all, we're going to talk about Jaden Sancho and reveal why it is that this deal is taking so long to wrap up. With me, of course, as always, is our transfer guru, Duncan Castles. Duncan, I'm going to consult you about this bit of information, which is that Jaden Sancho, we have discovered, and it is our understanding, has a bonus which is twofold in his current Borussia Dortmund contract. The bonuses are based on the uh, contract upgrade he signed last summer with Dortmund and the one-year completion of that contract, which is going to bring him around 1.5 million euros net in a payment. But also, and this is interesting because of what's happened in the last four or five days, A bonus if he makes 10 plus England caps, which, of course, he started against Iceland for Gareth Southgate's team and made his 11th cap. That's the trigger point which Sancho and his representatives and a family member have been waiting for in order that they can collect that bonus. We have told you consistently on the Transfer Window podcast that United are very comfortable with their position on Sancho. They believe they have a deal in place with the player and with Dortmund. And it is our information that they've simply been waiting it out until these uh, payments were due to be made to the player, but more importantly, to his representatives and to his family member who also represents him. Duncan, this is something that we're seeing increasingly in football in the modern age where uh, players would rather not lose out on uh, bonus payments that are written into their contracts uh, and indeed clubs who they may be joining therefore don't have to pay compensation on those clauses either. Is it a surprise to you that this seems to be what's holding up Sancho's move to Manchester United? Uh, it wouldn't be a surprise at all if that's the case. As you say, we we see this a lot in modern deals. Um, clubs do tend to write loyalty bonuses into contracts. Um, also, uh, stage payments on agents, um, commissions in, in the larger deals. We have famous cases such as Neymar's move to Paris Saint-Germain, which I'm told um, by people involved in the deal was actually agreed in May of that summer, long before the the clause was triggered and and, uh, uh, the move to Paris Saint-Germain put into motion by um, exercising the rescission clause in in Neymar's contract. Why did they wait? Because he was due a loyalty bonus and his father was due a uh, agent's commission if he got past a certain date before triggering the clause. Um, So there was a lot of money, tens of millions of euros at stake in in that case. Go back to last summer, Harry Maguire's transfer um, from Leicester City to Manchester United, uh, highest ever fee for a centre-back. Manchester United gave Leicester what they wanted. Uh, Our understanding in the podcast was that was also a case of Maguire was due a loyalty bonus and there was a payment due to his agent, which delayed the eventual completion of the deal beyond the stage where, you know, in, the, in an ideal world, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer would have had the player in and working in pre-season training. We told you all along that this was the priority deal for Manchester United. They've been very clear 
that uh, in that right wing position and with the majority of the budget that they wanted to put it into the right wing position and they've been working on the Jaden Sancho deal for a long time reported before that their personal terms have been agreed um, and the amount Dortmund wanted for the player has been clear so yeah it would make sense of this delay and it would make sense of the you know the confidence that uh, United have had and their, their sort of insistence that they're focusing primarily on that area of the team. Um, we've also reported that they, they wanted to do business elsewhere, supplementary business elsewhere. Obviously, Donny van de Beek has been brought in um, and they have been looking for a left-sided, uh, left-footed centre-back and a left-back or a full-back of some type preferably a left-footed fullback, can tell you that they've been offered um, the Porto left-back, Alex Telles, 27-year-old, um, 1m81, um, relatively cheap wages, 2 million euros gross, um, but out of contract in, in June 2021. Porto, I'm told, want 25 million euros for the player who has been offered to Paris Saint-Germain. Um, that deal hasn't managed to be concluded. Uh, the agent involved is Pini Zahavi, um, who does quite a lot of business out of Portugal and, and actually was involved at some stage in that Neymar deal. Um, another option for them is Sergio Regulon, the Real Madrid um, left back who played the last season at Sevilla and eliminated uh, Manchester United from the last opportunity to win silverware this season. He would be more expensive um, higher wages as well but I think he fits better with the, the cultural reboot project and that you're getting a 23 year old instead of a 27 year old um, so those options are presented to Manchester United in addition to uh, Sancho and you have to say if they get someone they manage to get someone like Regulon in um, Jaden Sancho on top of Donny van de Beek and even then do a, a good left-sided centre-back on top, that is a huge upgrade in the quality of squad Manchester United have had and, and I think significantly better than any squad um, that our managers had to work with at Manchester United for some years now. A lot of our listeners, Duncan, have picked up on a report of last Friday um, that Solskjaer had attended a recruitment meeting uh, with the um, recruitment staff at Manchester United last week expressed his frustration that signings hadn't been made as yet. Now, we've also been able to explain, and obviously Solskjaer knows, the circumstances regarding Jaden Sancho, so we assume that he is at peace with that. However, um, as you've said, the two other uh, priority positions at left-back and left-sided centre-back have yet to be resolved. Um, it seems to me that they're trailing a little bit, but at the same time, um, I think people should recognise, and, and we recognise, obviously, working in the market, that uh, the window doesn't close on until October 6th. So actually, United are not necessarily in a position of um, weakness right now because there are still um, a lot of time to get deals done. What we do know from experience of past windows is that players get more expensive the closer the window gets to closing. And I suspect that that's what Solskjaer is becoming frustrated by, as well as the fact, of course, the United are due to kick off the new Premier League season. And clearly Solskjaer would prefer to have players in sooner rather than later, but Ed Woodward's uh, modus operandi uh, to this point has always been, oh, let's do it late because then we might get a better deal. Not necessarily the case though, is it? Not always. I think this window is particularly difficult for clubs because there are so many unusual aspects to it. It's a very short, close season. Obviously, everyone is trying to work out the impact of COVID. They don't, the clubs do not know what the revenues will be for next season. They're, they're discussing um, limited return of spectators at some point during the season at present, but there's no um, dates defined. 
and they're having to feel out what the other clubs are doing in that context. And there is, a, you know, a great deal of diversity in that, where you've got Chelsea throwing money um, at the market and picking off um, top talents who they feel they have the access to because of this COVID situation. Obvious example is Timo Werner uh, taken from Liverpool effectively because Liverpool were being more careful um, with their money uh, post-COVID. So I think it's quite difficult to be overly critical of Manchester United being patient in this market because it is a bizarre and unusual market. And despite there being less money around and despite an expectation that prices would come down, Clubs are still being quoted very high prices for for the the top talents. Um, you know, some people in in these positions are saying actually there's not much change in what we're being requested as a price. We're probably only going to see what the actual prices are as we get right down to the wire, because then clubs will be forced to either accept less money or they'll get the deal they were expecting from from one of the the top teams, and. The thing I keep hearing when talking to people involved in, in this market is there are a lot of clubs waiting for money to trickle down so that they, they have targets, they know who they want to buy. Uh, in many cases, they have wages agreed with the player. The player wants to come to them, but they can't do the deal until they've got a sale uh, themselves. And we're, we're going to talk about this later in the podcast, but let's bring it forward to now since it, it's come up. It's Mark Rocca. Um, a Spanish midfielder at Espanyol, regarded as being probably the third best number six in Spanish football, um, uh, behind Sergio Busquets and Rodri at Manchester City. Um, wanted by Atletico and more than wanted by Atletico. Atletico have a deal with Espanyol for 15 million euros, which is a bargain price because Espanyol were relegated prior the, to this window if Espanyol had stayed in La Liga. That people were talking about a 30, 40 million fee for the player. They've agreed personal terms. All of this has been done for 10 days. But La Liga won't let Atletico complete the deal with Espanyol because um, of their budgetary restrictions and uh, La Liga rules, which prevent clubs from spending above a certain level. So Atletico are dependent on sales or moving people off their wage so, bills before sorry, Duncan, they can get can, that deal done. Can you just clarify for our listeners? So... La Liga require proof of funds. Is that correct? La Liga limit the total spend of a club um, for the season, so they have a they have a, a a budget set for them by the the, the league on the basis of their past um, income and uh, and uh, expenditure, um, and that's been adjusted according to COVID. But all of the clubs in La Liga have to fit within. Uh, a league designated spend which is something they've done for several years after a lot of La Liga clubs got into quite severe um, financial uh, state of affairs because most of the money was going to Barcelona, Real Madrid and, and La Liga clubs are, are much better financed um, and budgeted than they were several years ago but the ramifications of it are things like this, where two clubs can agree to do a deal, player can agree to go to a club, but La Liga say, no, not yet, not until you move money out of your wage bill. Are you allowed to add this player to your wage bill? I would love to have seen the La Liga offices uh, when Florentino Perez was splashing out on Zidane, Figo, Beckham, Ronaldo in the early 2000s. I suspect their fax machine was going a bit bonkers uh, with regards to that limited spend, if indeed it applied then. It, did, um, it didn't apply then. That's it the... didn't apply then, exactly. Well, exactly. And, and a lot of things don't apply to Real Madrid, as we know. Um, Knock-on effect, Duncan. Thomas Partey and Arsenal. Lots of speculation regarding a possible uh, signing for Mikel Arteta. Obviously, that would fund uh, Mark Rocker's move to Atleti. And also, um, it would help out Arsenal in terms of uh, what they need to do in this transfer market. Yes, um, Arsenal do like Thomas Partey and are interested in doing a deal, but they have not um, paid 
being prepared to pay the release clause for the player and Atleti don't want to lose him. Um, and I have repeatedly said, if you want to sign him, you must pay uh, the full release clause. So that would be uh, potentially uh, the, the deal that would allow Roca to go um, from Espanol to Atletico. But um, I'm not hearing that it is in any way agreed at this stage. And you know, Arsenal have their own financial issues to deal with and, and have been, you know, they, they spent more than people expected them to spend given that they were sacking staff and uh, and cutting wages uh, not that long ago and uh, and those are you know still part of the way they're going to operate for this coming season i have heard unconfirmed rumors that there are um headline writers in the english press uh having a whip round just <laughs> to try and get party to <laughs> arsenal uh, just to make their job easier next season. And in this particular uh, very, very difficult environment for newspapers, that's something to get sub-eds to part with their hard-earned money. Um, however, uh, he would certainly be a very good signing for Arsenal. Let's take it across the city of Manchester, um, away from uh, Atleti and uh, Arsenal and away from Manchester United to the ongoing um, negotiation between Manchester City and Napoli for Kaladu Koulibaly. It's the transfer windows information that uh, City have um, ignited or at least uh, they have sustained interest into other players, Duncan, um, as alternatives to Koulibaly, who remains, we have to stress, their first choice. And it was certainly a conversation I had at the weekend with a well-known um, agent in Italy uh, who had been asked advice on how to deal with Aurelio De Laurentiis, the president of Napoli, with regards to um would he sell at a lesser price than the sell-on clause? Um, or would he be open to negotiation or compromise on that? And uh, the answer uh, that was given was, go for someone else, make it public, and see what he does because he wants to sell that player. Now, um, do you think Satir any closer to securing Koulibaly as a result? Because you obviously have reported on their alternative targets already on the Transfer Under podcast. Well, it'll be interesting to see if this transpires into an offer for, um, for example, Jose Jimenez uh, at Atletico. Um, appropriately enough, uh, we told you a long time ago that Manchester City had inquired about Jimenez and they were cited his release clause. Uh, and said they would not sell for less than that, and that release clause is over 100 million euros. Um, you have Diego Carlos at um, Sevilla, uh, who had a kind of mixed um, end of Europa League tournament, ended up winning, scored a great goal, but uh, got himself into some problems with his, his aggressive tackling on the pitch. Those two have been targets. Ruben Gias at Benfica is another target. Let's see if we, if your man is correct and we see uh, reports of an offer to one of these clubs for one of these centre-backs. And uh, and then we end up with Kaladu Koulibaly signing for Manchester City at a bit less than the 65, 70, 75 million euros that Napoli have been talking about as a price for him. Um, a week or so, or a few days later. Guidance I have on Koulibaly uh, from a, a separate source is that Manchester City very much focused on that and closer to doing a deal. So let's see how it how it, um, it pans out. At 29, Koulibaly would be um, in some ways kicking back the trend of sending younger players who obviously have resale value uh, in terms of the future of each of those individuals. Um, I want to talk about Wills, Duncan, because uh, a lot has been said, written um, and reported about uh, the importance or influence of a sport slash technical director at clubs. Now, Wolverhampton Wanderers uh, have been 
fairly reliant on the influence of the agent George Mendes with regards to their recruitment policy, a policy which has to be said so far has brought them a lot of success and certainly a lot of progression uh, in the team and in the club. And looks like uh, Mendes's influence is certainly not going to um, um, go into recession anytime soon uh, with regards to players coming in. Fabio Silva, Vicina, Thomas Estevez, um, to add to a long list of players already recruited by Wolves who have been very successful in their integration into the Premier League. Um, with those players, Duncan, those obviously are not all signed yet, but you're very close, uh, obviously, to Portuguese football. I guess you can see the philosophy and uh, the uh, obvious benefit to Wills of employing someone with not just his knowledge, but resources as well in terms of the people he works with. And uh, with regards to identifying younger players and indeed players who will suit Wills' style of football and then recommending them to the club. Well, Mendes, Jesse Foot, his company, brought Fosun, the owners, into Wolves. So they recommended Wolves as a club to purchase. Um, a different manager was in place initially. Eventually, he recommended Nino Espirito Santo uh, as manager, and we've seen the success that's brought. So you have winning the championship title, playing kind of football that people thought it wasn't possible to play and get promoted from the championship to the Premier League. Then back-to-back... Uh, seventh place finishes in the Premier League. A lot of good results in amongst there and a lot of good, very efficient football. Um, not all the recruitment is done by Jesse Foot. Not all the players are Jesse Foot players, but there's been a great deal of success with the players they've brought in. And there is obviously a huge amount of trust from the owners when George Mendes or other Jesse Foot employees recommend signing particular players and say the guy is undervalued um, or he will turn into a, a more valuable, effective player when you get him working with the right coach and in the right environment. And you have to say, you look over those years that they had this project in place, it's clearly working for them. Um, I think people are raised eyebrows when the Fabio Silva deal was announced. They spent 40 million euros on an 18-year-old who uh, played just 182 minutes in the Portuguese top tier last season, scored one goal, was a centre forward, um, only had one start. So on paper, that looks a very strange deal. Maybe in three years' time, it will also look a strange deal. But Fabio Silva is a player who was flagged up to me a couple of years ago by people in Portuguese football as potentially the, the solution to Portugal national team's long search for a proper centre-forward, um, a, a specific centre-forward, which has been their struggle until Cristiano Ronaldo took over those goal-scoring duties. Um he scored a huge number of goals at youth level. Um, he is interestingly very similar to Raul Jimenez in the way he plays and that he is a very much centre forward, wants to play down the middle of the park, uh, has pace, is physical, scores goals, um, is comfortable in front of the net, but also good at integrating the play, which is very important to the way Wolves play. Jimenez does a lot of holding the ball up and bringing other wingers into um, Wolves' attack. And so what I'm hearing is he is to come in and be part of the team alongside him and his eye, part of the squad, and essentially provide them with a backup because they didn't have a backup and were fortunate that Raul Jimenez didn't get injured last season. So that it sounds like Jimenez, who has been available to sit for sale at a big price, is not going to move now because they haven't got a bit of the magnitude they were looking for to sell him this summer. Um, other players that they're bringing in or have brought in is Vitor Ferreira, a 20-year-old from FC Porto, whose nickname is Vicinha. Uh, he's an attacking midfielder 
again, not played much for Porto last season. Um, they've taken him on a loan with what I'm told is an obligatory option to buy at 20 million euros. So essentially the, the transfer fee has been shifted to next summer rather than this summer. Um, also told that this player is very talented. Um, some of the Portuguese football watchers I'm, I, I talked to said he may be a better player in the long run than Fabio Silva. Um, and they're working on a deal for another Porto player, the right back, Thomas Estevez, who's 18 year old. Um, again, very little experience in the Porto first team. Um, again, someone I spoke to thinks he might be the best of the bunch. He said he, was a, he is a proper, absolute serious talent as a right back. Obviously, they need a right back to play, replace Matt Doherty. Are they spending too much on inexperienced players? I think part of the, 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 the idea is you look over a, an extended time frame, you bring them into the, the team as and when it's required. You have a coach who is bought into the project and will develop them in the right way, not necessarily looking for immediate results, but you're looking for the kind of development that they've had from Ruben Neves, Pedro Neto, Diogo Jota, um, who have turned themselves into top Premier League players over a, over a course of time. Um, and there, there is a faith in the in Jesse Foot that they've they're picking the right players for the squad and a, and a structure where it's supportive of the players around them and the manager who will develop them with that goal in mind. Um, you also, I think, have to say that Jesse Foot have a history of picking players who have been given limited time in their previous sites and putting them into a platform where they prove themselves to be some of the best players in their league. Um, so Diego Costa uh, is an example of this, who bumbled around Portuguese and Spanish football for several years, not getting a great deal of game time, and then ended up as a Premier League winner, um, main man for Atletico. Um, Ruben Neves was out of favour at Porto when uh, Jesse Foot moved him to Wolves. Bernardo Silva wasn't getting a game for Benfica, was moved to Monaco and a couple of years down the line is one of the best players in the Premier League, arguably the best player in Manchester City's last title winning season. Pedro Neto, um, there's criticism of that deal when he came from Lazio, but had a very good season with Wolves last year. So the hit rate is very good. Um, and we'll see if, they, if they've got it right again. Why are these players not getting time for FC Porto? Well, they have a coach, Sergio Concesan, who doesn't like playing youth. So there is a reason why they haven't had as many minutes as their talent would merit. Um, and there's a, also a reason why FC Porto are prepared to sell all of these young talents who won the 2019 UFL Youth League after they won the, the Portuguese title last season is they need the cash. So this is also building a relationship with Porto and that Wolves are providing them with finance now to get them through the, the coming season. And um, if it works to plan, Wolves will make a substantial profit on the players down the line. So Wolves certainly um, an example of how to do recruitment well, that's for sure. Um, they have proven that in terms of their investment and uh, they continue to with regards to the advice they're getting. I do remember, Duncan, a lot of um, uh, criticism being uh, rained down upon Wolves and their owners in Fosun, uh saying that the... Uh, uh, agreement with George Mendes was somehow uh, unfair uh, with just the foot, his agency, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But um, that's never been proven to be the case, and certainly seems to be uh, originated in uh, some jealousy rather than in any kind of factual uh, complaint that can be held up. Um, well. Um, just just a quick aside on that. One of the, yeah. the main instigators of that complaint was the owner of Leeds United, who um, just did a deal to uh, sign Rodrigo Moreno from Valencia, in which 
he used Jesterfoot as an intermediary to get the player ah, to well, Leeds United. Well, there we go. The, the, we, we love a bit of irony in Schadenfreude on the Transfer Window podcast, as you all know. And so there's a little uh, tablet of it for you all. Moving to the biggest spenders of this particular transfer window, and indeed a club who look destined indeed to be uh, the most uh, in terms of investment uh, in one window, uh, breaking records. And that, of course, is Chelsea Football Club under Frank Lampard, uh, a club who are still uh, in the market despite having already spent around £230 million net on players incoming. Um, We have detailed in much of the Transfer Window podcasts over the last four to six weeks, Frank Lampard's desire to sign a goalkeeper and how does he solve a problem like Kepa Arizabalaga? Well, it seems that uh, Petr Cech has come up with a solution. Uh, Petr Cech, who of course is a employed football consultant to the club, has gone back to the club where he left in Rennes, in Liga, um, to join Chelsea uh, to uh, try and recruit Edouard Mendy uh, to uh, become Chelsea's uh, latest signing. It's our information that Rennes are holding out for a fee of around 25 million euros. As you with Chelsea are not necessarily balking at paying, but are trying to negotiate them down in that um, region to around 20 million euros if possible, although they seem optimistic that a compromise agreement somewhere in between can be reached. The idea is that Mendy will not necessarily replace Kepa as the first choice goalkeeper at Stamford Bridge, but instead will provide a high level of competition to the Spain goalkeeper and indeed hopefully kickstart or re-kickstart his Chelsea career. Uh, We reported in the podcast in May that Czech believed that Kepa still had uh, a future at Chelsea and that indeed um, there were some off-field problems uh, which, if resolved, could see him uh, better himself in terms of his uh, attitude and uh, concentration stroke uh, ability to perform at the highest level again. And recruiting Mendy is seen as a way of, hopefully, in Chelsea's case and in Frank Lampard's case, of getting um, Kepa back to the keeper that they paid £71 million for uh, from Athletic Bilbao. Duncan, um, this seems to me to be um, very resonant of Manchester United's move uh, in terms of signing Dean Henderson up to a new contract, bringing him back to Old Trafford in order to put pressure on David De Gea. Again, something that we have discussed in detail on the Transfer Window podcast as well. It's such a specialist position, though, that it's you know maybe sometimes you need to do uh, something radical like this. I invest an extra amount of money just to get the best out of the investment you've already made. Do you think Mendy's the right person to put pressure on Kepa? Because we know they've been interested in other goalkeepers as well, but Mendy now seems to be the one they're focusing on. Certainly an expensive way of going about getting the best out of your very expensive goalkeeper. And we're talking about <laughs> we're talking about in Kepa, the most expensive goalkeeper by transfer fee ever. And uh, David De Gea, best paid player at, at Manchester United and best paid player in the Premier League. So it's and, uh, and Dean Henderson has now become about the fifth best played player at Manchester United. <laughs> Well, the, the, yeah, not quite as expensive in Henderson's case because it is just a new contract and not actually paying a transfer fee as well. But yeah, yeah it's a, it's a uh, 
it shows the largesse that uh, is involved in in solving these problems. To be fair, Manchester United, I don't think they had an option with De Gea. They couldn't sell the player um, because they gave him such a high salary. And uh, his, his status was probably at its lowest point for six, seven, eight years. Um, therefore, they had to make a decision over Henderson and, and they provided an answer which should be for the best for Solskjaer and that he has two top goalkeepers. He can play them off against each other. Uh, if he manages it well, he should get good performances throughout the season. Chelsea, you're then looking, they didn't want to sign a starter because they, the, the management still has faith and I'm not talking about Frank Lampard here, but the, the, the club management still has faith in their investment in Kepa and they want to uh, get value out of that investment back. So it, it's, a, it's a guy to um, chivy him along and give themselves more reliable backup if they need it. And if, if Lampard decides he doesn't want to start Kepa for a number of games this season as he didn't want to start last season and was forced to use Willy Caballero, um, you have to make sure you get the right character of individual in, in those circumstances, obviously going to the French league, um, uh, picking a Senegal international who's only had one, uh, well, not even a full season because it was a COVID interrupted season at Rang, um, relatively cheap from a wage perspective, easy enough to get him in and put him on, uh, a salary which satisfies him and upgrades him and gives him Premier League football and put that carrot of if you perform well enough you will be starter for Chelsea um, so it's a it's a it's an innovative solution um, and one that is interesting that Petr Cech has come up with and, and has faith that it will work uh, in terms of getting Kepa to the level they expect them uh, to get to when they when they bought him, um, in an ideal world, I think if uh, if Frank Lampard had his choice, he would have had a top established starter in and would have had Kepa sold. But that is some, is a deal he's had to compromise over. Um, but it looks like um, he may be rewarded in other positions. And I think Ian, you broke the story about Declan Rice. Um, being his top target in defence, um, the, the activity of West Ham in this transfer market and the amount of money that Roman Abramovich has allowed to be spent on transfers at Chelsea would indicate that he might yet get Declan Rice into Stamford Bridge before the end of this transfer window. I do believe, Duncan, uh, and it is my information, that that is an ongoing uh, project for Chelsea. Uh, there certainly is um, a determination that Rice can be uh, recruited. Uh, I think um, his performances towards the end of the season with West Ham and even in what was a substandard result for England against Iceland in the Nations League last weekend, the Rice I thought was one of the better performers uh, playing in essentially a defensive midfield role, but uh, was certainly the catalyst for some of the best moves regarding his passing ability. That's what Lampard has identified as crucial um, to his plans for next season, where he has planned to play a back three. Rice would be the anchor in the centre, with uh, centre halves on either side and attacking fullbacks playing in a 3-4-3 formation. Um, and Rice, obviously, uh, has spent most of his career at Chelsea in their academy before moving to West Ham. Um, very good friends with some of the younger players who Lampard has since blooded, uh, specifically Mason Mount, who he holidayed with uh, in the last summer. But, um, yeah, look, I, I don't think Chelsea's spending has stopped. Simple as that. Um, my understanding is that um, the uh, in the great tabloid uh, cliche terms, the checkbook is still open and there will be more signings to come in. Uh, Rice is, remains the number one target uh, in terms of uh, centre-half and a centre-back. Uh, Mendy is a compromise candidate, but at the same time, uh, as I said before, 
someone who they think can pressure Kepa into becoming uh, a be- not better keeper, but certainly returning to a level of form that they expect from him should he, he be put into the arena where uh, he needs to prove himself. So, yes, um, I do believe that Rice uh, and market movement uh, towards Chelsea will certainly be something that we see a lot more of in the next two to three weeks. Certainly an interesting end to this window, which of course uh, goes into October. Um, Just to round off um, the Leo Messi saga, uh, which of course we have, hopefully uh, you agree, given you everything first and not only first, but the detail and the analysis and the up-to-date news on. Uh, Certainly that is our feedback from you guys on our social media channels. And we thank you for that uh, and for all your likes, retweets and comments. Um, Duncan, you have information regarding what happened after Leo Messi did this interview with Goal.com in which he said he would never take Barca to court and therefore he was reversing his decision and stay at camp. Now, why would Jorge Messi then make an offer to Barcelona about Leo leaving for a transfer fee? Well, I think the information I have is that um, the interview was uh, played. Um, Messi spoke out and said, as as we we t- detailed in the last podcast, and go back and listen to it. It's um, aggression towards Bartomeu, the president in particular, to the club, saying he had told the club repeated um, times that he intended to leave and wanted to leave at the end of the season. And Bartomeu told him that's okay, we will allow you to leave, but just get through to the end of the season. And then when it came down to it, cited. Uh, the specific wording of his clause and they ended up in a legal argument over whether he should be allowed to leave or not and in Messi's own words he could never take Barcelona to court so he decided that he would play for the season and not uh, a clever situation on either side. What I'm told is that after that Jorge Messi went to Barcelona and presented to them an offer from Manchester City for 150 million as a transfer fee. Obviously, um, that was a figure that Manchester City had proposed. Uh, should it require negotiation? Should they not get a um, a clean exit that the, the Messi family thought and the Messi family's lawyers uh, thought they would be able to achieve and allow him to move for a free transfer? Um, that was rejected by Barcelona. Um, for obvious reasons. They had insisted throughout the process that the only way Messi would be allowed to leave was for the 700 million euro release clause. Um, I think it's indicative of the inefficient, uh, in many ways you could say amateur way in which which this process was handled um, by the Messi family. And I think, you know, I've seen stuff written about this elsewhere, but what you see there is what happens or the dangers of what can happen when you're represented by a parent um, who has been in a position, secured a lot of very substantial contracts for you down your career, um, both with the club and with uh, commercial sponsors. But when the difficult situation of negotiating and um strategizing a way in which you take the most important player at the club and as we've said a number of times the biggest individual footballer in the history of Barcelona because of the way his influence had been allowed to grow at the club and his influence in decision making over coaches players remaining style of play who was picked which matches he would play in trying to get that figure out of the club because he wants to get out of the club is not a simple process and you have to come up with a strategy which, in which Barcelona will say, yes, um, okay, we'll do it for this amount of money. Um, we understand 
and and the the correct solution for all parties is for the player to leave. Um, we said in the podcast on a couple of uh, occasions that it looked as though the Messies had painted themselves into a corner where they would need to take legal action to get out because they were insistent that they should be allowed for a free transfer and they weren't going into a negotiation process with Barcelona early on. That's exactly what it turned into um, after that meeting between Jorge Messi, Leo's brother, and Bartomeu um, earlier in the week. Leo Messi was faced with a decision to get out, you're going to have to take the club to court. And Messi, in his own words, was not prepared to do that. If your strategy is dependent or looks like it's going to head down the line where legal action will be required to fulfil it, to bring it to fruition, then you best find out that your player and your son is ready to take legal action if it comes down to that. And it seems that Jorge Messi didn't get that fundamental brick in place before he headed down this route of conflict with Barcelona. And you end up with a player stuck at a club he doesn't want to be at and a club embarrassed in the the process of of retaining him there, an unhappy set of fans and um, big question marks over what happens for their transfer policy, what happens for their squad for the rest of the season, how the manager, who had has already got rid of one of Messi's best friends in a in an aggravating fashion. We'll handle him. Just how the club goes forward um, for the rest of the season. Quite incredible, um, all of what's been going on in the last ten days regarding one of the world's best players, and uh, I don't think there's any argument Barcelona's best ever player. Um, but uh, some of us who work in football and uh, our old friend, um, Bernie Mandich, who's been on the podcast, and you guys all know, um, has warned of the difficulties of employing an amateur as your uh, business representative. And I think uh, Leo Messi has found out that um, when things get a little bit sticky and complicated and uh, you need someone who is better informed and prepared than your old da, as we say in Scotland. This has been the Transfer Window podcast uh, for this week. We are going to finish off on our Heroes and Villains segment. Um, Duncan, I'm going to break with tradition and go first and name my villains, because I'd like to finish on a positive note, which I know that you you will. and I'm going to name my villains as, quite obviously, uh, Phil Foden and Mason Greenwood of the Manchester clubs who uh, disgraced themselves in the uh, violation of COVID regulations, not just of uh, Iceland, but also of the Football Association's secure bio-bubble in their little misadventure into bringing girls back to their hotel. Uh, I'm sure in the case of Foden um, and his, uh, what we're told, school uh, sweetheart, um, whom he has a child with, has got enough on his plate rather than us berating him. Uh, In terms of Mason Greenwood, he's issued a very groveling apology for the fact that he misbehaved. It just seems to me that uh, it seems a little bit kind of uh, cynical and false when both players talk about uh, their pride of playing for their country and putting on the three-line shirt uh, and how it's the most important thing to them when uh, they then go out and uh, effectively betray the trust of their manager and the FA uh, in their actions. Something which, unfortunately seems to be a recurring issue in the shadow of the recent Harry Maguire incident as well. So villains of the last few days, Greenwood and Foden, please try and uh, reconcile yourselves and uh, make it better. Duncan, I hand over to you for what is someone who's younger and a shining light of example for young players. Yeah, quite a contrast to uh, to Foden and Greenwood's behaviour. Ansu Fati um, making his first starts for the Spain national team uh, became the youngest 
that player to play for Spain for I think 84 years in the first match scored was given offside in the second match he scored um, a very impressive goal to become the youngest scorer in the history of the Spain national team at 17 years and 311 days he's uh, he's running up quite a, a, a list of records um, youngest scorer in Barcelona's history youngest scorer in the Champions League youngest scorer of two or more goals in a La Liga game youngest player to score and create a goal uh, and be credited with an assist in a La Liga game and now youngest scorer in the Spain national team. Um, 170 million euro release clause still in effect. Um, that will increase to 400 million euros when Barcelona upgrade from his current B team contract to an A team contract. They've had turned down a series of offers for the player um, this summer, verbal offers, um, uh, some of them on behalf of Manchester United. The highest offer I'm told they've turned down to date was €125 million euros with €25 million euros of variable bonus payments on top. Um, interesting to see whether something gets done before that upgrade. Uh, to the 400 million euro release clause. Certainly interesting to watch the path of his career because he started in a super impressive style. Indeed, he certainly is. Um, certainly, uh, I think the most impressive young player after Kylian Mbappe uh, in Europe right now. And um, there are definitely similarities between the two. And uh, it will be very interesting to see how his career develops. And we will, of course, be bringing you news of that and any new contract for Ansu Fati, which is going to be ongoing at Barcelona. Uh, please uh, join the debate. Keep us uh, interested in everything that you've got to say uh, that you've enjoyed in the podcast or not um, on our social media channels, which are at Transfer Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, also, you can listen to the podcast in all the usual platforms for where you get your pods. But indeed, you can also listen on our YouTube channel. Just search at Transfer Window Podcast. If you like what you hear, and we know you love it, not just like it, uh, log on to iTunes. Give us a five-star review. You know what happens. Community gets bigger, and it keeps getting bigger and bigger. We've got exciting news coming up for you in the next uh, few weeks, which we will bring to you when we're ready to. We can't disclose it just yet, although a lot of you have been talking about Duncan Castles as Hollywood, Hollywood Duncan, not FC Hollywood, uh, for his appearance on the Spurs documentary All or Nothing. Duncan, do you have anything to say? Anything you want to say to your fans out there in the uh, City of Angels who are all talking about you uh blinking you'll miss it i think is what i would say <laughs> modest as ever you know you know he didn't play for dundee united in 1983 so i guess he's gonna have to just stick with that one uh, in terms of his claim to fame um we will be back of course later in the week with uh, the next transfer window podcast bringing you all the news before you get news anywhere else until then uh, it's just left for me to say stay safe be well and thanks for listening hey.